Here we go. Blog Talk Radio. Let's get lost in a better place. Pick up a book, travel through time and space. So much to learn, so much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind and your heart. Gain new knowledge, get a fresh new start. Day Network will bring you there. So let's talk about it when life and on the air. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Fran Lewis. This is MJ Network. MJ after my sister, Marsha Joyce, and I am so excited. Robert Dagoni is here, and we're going to talk about the world played chess and Let's see. Wanting to collect real money and enjoy his final summer before landing a job as a laborer working alongside two Vietnamese vets, Vincent gets an education of a lifetime. Forty years later, with his own son going off to college, the past and the summer come back as the author shares his own real-life experiences. This is really exciting. What made you decide to write this? This is different for you. Um, you know, it, it, is, it is different, but it's also, it's also what I love to do. It's... Um, it's very much along the same lines as um, the extraordinary life of Sam Hell, and I read that. You know, uh, these, these are kind of the books that um, that I grew up reading. Uh, I had a mother that would hand me books all the time, and you know, I didn't mm-hmm. know what I was reading at the time, but I was reading books like The Count of Monte Cristo and The Old Man and the Sea and The Great Gatsby, and you know, really mm-hmm. just classic books and. You know, I fell in love with those stories. I fell in love with those books about lives lived, and I always, I always kind of thought I would write those kind of books. But you know, life has a way of changing for all of us, and and I ended up writing different kinds of books. But I always wanted to get back to to doing those as well. Well, I haunted everybody until I got the last Tracy crossword book because I said I, I didn't know who you're working with, and Megan is amazing. You have the best publicist in the matter. She's great. Really? Yeah, she's really she's really terrific, and so is my my Amazon uh, pu- uh, public assistant. That's Danelle Catlett back in Amazon. She's great too. I'm very well. Lucky. She sent she sent me the last line. I read it yesterday. And oh, terrific! Me, that's, that's an Amazon original short story. I know. And then she emailed me and she said, "Did you write your review yet?" I said, "Okay, I'll write it. Don't worry." I'm going to post something next week, but she's going to send me the excerpt and the pictures and all the rest of it. I can't put that on Amazon, but I can put it on my site because I read it. Okay, the question is, are you going to write it into a, a novel? Because you can't end it there. No way. Well, it's, um, I'm not going to write that book into a novel per se, but the, the story, Tracy Crosslight Number 9, What She Found, Tracy is now yeah. working cold cases, and one of the cold cases she's working is that particular case that Dell had. As a oh, rookie. good. So, so um, it, the the case does come back, and and uh, Tracy does work it. Good, because I was getting very upset, and I figured it out. But I said, "Oh my God, he can't end it there." So, what is the history behind this novel? And tell us about the journal, and that's the basis of the flashbacks. If I ask something that's too whatever, just say pass, because I have a thousand questions here. Yeah, no. Um, you know, so 
the basis of the novel, The World Played Chess, um, my summer of my senior year in high school, mm-hmm. after I graduated, I got a job on a construction crew uh, working with my brother-in-law and, uh, and two other men. And the two other men were Vietnam veterans. And this was back in 1979. And the, the story is fiction, but it's, it's, you know, it's, it's based upon a, a truth, but it, it is fiction. But, um, you know, I really learned a lot working with these two men. And, and what I learned was, you know, I, I grew up in a bubble. Um, I grew up in a, in a, in a beautiful bubble, you know, a, a loving, caring family. And, you know, I just, you know, I just, I, I, I came to realize that a lot of people didn't grow up in that same bubble. And, and these poor guys, you know, who were about my age, you know, got shipped off to boot camp and then later off to Vietnam and, they wouldn't talk a lot about what had happened to them over there. A lot of Vietnam veterans still to this day don't like to talk about it. And, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of them reading the book uh, have emailed me and said, you know, it, it, I loved it because it was so real, but that also made it hard uh, for them. Um, and, and so, you know, anyway, I, I started to put the story together and initially I didn't have a journal in there. Initially, I, I didn't have a story of, of, you know, William's story, and it was really my son. I asked my son if he would read the book because it, there's a lot, of, a lot of the book is about fathers and sons. And, and so my son read it, and my son came to me, and he said, you know, Dad, you know, I like the story a lot, but I don't really, I don't really know what happened to William. Um, I, I would really like, like to know more about what happened to him and, and how he became the guy that he is in this book. I think that would be really fascinating for me, you know, to understand that, to realize that. And, and so I went back and I, um, I put together the, uh, I put together the, the journal and it's, um, it's been incredibly powerful. All I know is that my, you're lucky because my family doesn't read what I write ever. I have no idea. They don't. They don't read my books. They don't read my books, and they don't read my book reviews. They just know. Well, you know, you grew up the same way I did. My mother used to make me read ten books a week, besides homework and Hebrew and yeah. all the rest of that stuff. So to me, reading ten books a week is no big deal. That's why doing this is fun. So yeah, boy, I'll tell you. This is tell us about William and Todd, and why William, in a sense, is still harboring anger about the war and decided on no tangible memories. That bothered me. Well, you know, not so much that he, he harbored anger about the war, but he he went through a horrible, horrible experience, and we are now starting to learn uh, much more deeply the impact that what these what these young men have seen and and dealt with whether it's in Vietnam or World War II or one or Iraq or Afghanistan, they saw just some real horrors that, you know, human beings are not supposed to have to see and have to learn and, and to deal with. So, you know, William has, William just has a lot of, a lot of things inside of him that, you know, are really poisoning him. And um, he's, you know, he, he begins to he begins to have post traumatic stress, which they really didn't know what mm. that was back in in that day. It was learned it was learned more later in life, and you know what what he's what he's I think what he's more upset about is not the Vietnam War, but the lost opportunity. 
You know, he mm. he realizes he made a mistake when he was young. He was uh he was an all state wrestler. He was a good student and then he he got hurt and wrestling went away and he started screwing around in school and he basically flunked out. And when he flunked out the draft board was there waiting for him. And you know, he wanted to be a he wanted to be a journalist. He wanted to be a writer. And um you know, all of that sort of went away for him and he you know, he, he's bitter about where he is in life and uh and, and, and how he got there. That's sad. A lot of people are like that now with this lovely pandemic. People can't cope with anything. It makes it even worse. And yeah, it's it's difficult. It's very difficult. It's difficult to get an appointment even to walk into anywhere now. The dialogue is yeah. so real that I'm reading, you know, I meet I read so many books and I go, oh, this was this was so what a pleasure because it was so different than murder. Seriously. The the dialogue is so real. You feel as if you're back in Vietnam with the characters. How were you able to do that? Because I felt like I had a close friend when I was in college, and Barry went to Vietnam, and he came back with Agent Orange, and he had a speech impediment. He really had to work harder just to understand things, and I was one of the few people that he was friends with. So how did you make this so realistic that I actually could hear the voices in my head? Um, I did a lot of research, Rand. Um, I... Mm-hmm. I noted a, I noted that research in the book because I wanted people yeah. to know that you know I hadn't just made hadn't made this stuff up. Um I read I read probably 15 first-hand accounts written wow. by um men who had had you know spent their time in Vietnam and spent their time in the bush and and I tried to you know I tried to put myself in their shoes and I tried to to use their descriptions for instance of what it really means to be dark, you know, when they're, when they're, when nighttime falls. Mm. Um, it, it, I remember reading something that struck me was it was just, it was pitch black. You couldn't even see your hand in front of your face, you know, mm. and, and you're out in this foxhole and you don't know what's out in the jungle. You're surrounded by the bush and it must've just been terrifying for these, for these young guys. Um, so I tried to, I tried to as much as I could. I tried to use their words. And really, if it rings true, I think it rings true largely because, you know, they, they, the the words I used were, were those that, that served over there. It's one of those books that once you start reading it, you can't put it down. But in order to make sure that I had the timelines right, I have to post my review later, is that I read each, I read the whole book, and then I read each timeline over again, each person. <laughs> Each section mm-hmm. over again to make sure that I had it right, because this is this is different, and you know people need to read it because it's great, and it's in Thank a you. lot. So why did you create nicknames, and what did they mean? And loss is a major part of this novel. How does it relate in a way to Vincent, William, and Todd? Well, nick, nicknames were a big thing back then. I mean, they, they, you know, from what I read and the research I did, you mm-hmm. know, a lot of these guys had nicknames. And it was it was part of the reality, and you know I think that's something that that young men do anyway. I mean, you know, I had a lot of nicknames when I was young, and my buddies all had had nicknames. Um, and and you know, it's, I think it's just it's just something. It's part of that 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 experience, um, and it was at least back then. Um, and you know, the loss really is something that that we all have to come to grips with, and we all have to, you know, when you're growing up. You know, you don't you don't deal with loss very much. Um, you know, I remember when I was growing up, 
um, my grandfather was dead before I was born. But other than that, you know, my grandparents were alive. My uncles and aunts were all alive. My cousins were all alive. And really, you know, I didn't really have to deal with death until um, my, my, one of my best friends died of a massive heart attack when he was 41 mm-hmm. years old. And, you know, and then my grandmother died. And, you know, then people begin to die and you begin to realize that life isn't forever. You're not going to live forever. And one of the sayings in the book is uh, growing old is a privilege. It's not a right. You yeah. know, and, and, and that's the reality that, that all of us have to come deal with at different times in our life. And, you know, the older you get and the more you move out of the, 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 the parental cradle, and and the bubble that that a lot of parents create for their kids, which is a good thing. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. The more those kids begin to realize that that you know there are, people didn't didn't have that same experience they had growing up, and uh, you know they they begin to see people around them, you know, young people even pass away, and it's traumatic. It's very very difficult for them to deal with. No, I agree with you. My grandmother died when I was 16. And and it was a medical mistake. And then my grandfather, a couple of years later, and those are the two people that, you know, kept me straight and really supported everything I do. I wouldn't even tell you some of the nicknames I had. <laughs> I just didn't even care. <laughs> yeah, well, I was I was overweight. I weighed nothing now, but I was overweight and I wasn't very pretty. And somebody said it to me. They said, "Well, you know, you're overweight and not very pretty." I said, "Yeah, but I'm smarter than you, and I get straight A's. So who cares?" You you know you have to. It's yeah. hard when you're like ten and they're telling you that. Like, I don't care. So. Yeah, and William, you know, for you to have that type of mental toughness, you must have been raised by some really wonderful people who taught you what the real value was. You know that that you know, beauty is superficial and and it's that's not what's important. It's what's on the inside that really matters. And you know, you sounds like you were blessed to have parents that created that for you and fostered that. Yeah. My mom was tough. She expected perfection. If I didn't get 100 on a test, I'd write it over 10 times. My dad was different. He was the one that taught me to speak up and be independent. And he always said to me, the only person that you can count on for the rest of your life is a person whose face you look at in the mirror every single day. And that yeah, is hard. Yeah, that's a, that's I learned great, that. That's a, and that's a great saying. That, 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 I've never heard that. And it, it's, I'm going to write it down because... You know, I, I think that there's a lot of truth to that. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, I think there really is. is that, And that's what that's what William really has to learn in the world play chess, yeah. is he has to learn to accept and to love himself. That's and, right. You know, and, and, and to, to, to know that, you know, he's he's going to be okay. Um, you know, but, he, but it, it starts with him accepting who he is. And that was really a theme that I also had in, in the extraordinary life of Sam Hill. Sam Hill yeah. cannot see, and it's not because he has ocular albinism. He can't see because he just can't, he can't, he can't see past how people treat him. And until he learns mm-hmm. how to do that, you know, and that's the same thing for William. He has to learn to accept what he's done and where he's been uh, in order to, to move forward. I love that book, and that mother reminded me of mine. Exactly, she was she was she was yeah. my mother. Exactly, yeah. So then he has a problem. Why did Bolesh outed Vincent in the present? And well, they, you know, he, Bo, that, that was Bo interesting is a, too. Bo is, 
Yeah, Bo is a, a young man who is trying to find his way in, in the world. Um, and, you know, that, that happens a lot, I think, in all families where you have, uh, you know, a young, a, a young man, he's not a boy anymore, who, who wants to be treated like an adult because he thinks he's an adult, but he's really not an adult. Uh, and, you know, a lot of people don't, don't fully understand that. Um, and, and so, you know, it's, 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 it's interesting that, that, you know, um, Bo, that, that, that lashing out is really Bo's way of saying, I don't want to be treated like a child, but Mm -hmm. by lashing out, he's acting like a child, you know, but I Mm -hmm. think that's something that we all, we all learn in life and we all have to, to, you know, overcome. It's, it's hard. So how does someone prepare mentally in 1979? He works with William and Todd. What adversaries do they face and why? Is it, can you say that again? Wait a minute. Let me read it again. I hope I read it right. Okay. <laughs> someone, how does somebody prepare mentally for this? I mean, in 1979, he works with William and Todd. What adversaries did they face and why? What problems did they face? Oh, they, you know, they, they had... They had all kinds of adversary, but the real adversary was themselves. You know, mm-hmm. they, they, they were fighting with themselves, and, and that's the thing that was so hard. They had, they had things that were very much in common. They didn't believe in God. And at different times, the two men I worked with both said to me, why would I believe in God? When I needed him, he wasn't there. I don't need him now. Uh, you know, they said things like that. They both lived paycheck to paycheck. They didn't really think about the future. They didn't mm-hmm. really look to the future. Um, they they both uh, um, had sort of a fatalistic uh, uh, view of life. And so I just started to notice these similarities between them mm-hmm. that were completely foreign to me, you know, because I, I had never experienced anything that had made me feel that way. And so you know, I really believe that a lot of these poor guys were battling with themselves, uh, were battling with what happened to them, with battling where they were, and, and, and where they were trying to get it figured out. You know, there's a, are you listening to this, the lead-in song from uh, Rachel and Michael from Trinity House? Um, the other two weeks ago I interviewed them. Every time I feel like everything is crashing on my head, I go on trinityhouse.com and I listen to one of .net and I listen to one of their songs. And my favorite one is the first one is called "You're Gonna Make It." And no matter what happens, you just listen to the song, and at the end you say, "I can do this. I'm gonna. I'm gonna be fine." And the last one is yeah. called um, "God is o- uh, the Lord. Is, the God is always with you." And it's like, yeah, it's just the words. So why does Longhorn, this really surprised me, Longhorn gives away his medals. So why does William get rid of his? And what about Vincent? They didn't want to keep well, any, the, anything William, from the war. William gets rid of his medals because they don't mean anything to him. Um, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't view what he did as being anything, anything you know, great. And he says in there um, something that I think is very true. He says, you know, I, I I have these medals, and you know, what do they really mean? And, and more importantly, what are they going to mean to the people that I leave behind? They're not going to mean anything mm-hmm. to them. And so I'm going to leave them with the task and the guilt of throwing away my medals, and I'm not going to do that to them. I'm not going to I'm not going to make them feel guilty about getting rid of something that has no meaning to them. I'm going to throw throw it away myself. And we all have that 
we all have that same uh-huh. problem. I mean, I have, I have all these things that, that mean something to me, you know, my, my diploma from college and from high school and all my books are, are in shadow boxes that Amazon sends to me for, you know, selling a certain, you know, a, mm-hmm. a certain amount and I have them all up on the wall in my office. But someday I'm going to be gone. And, you know, maybe my kids might want one of those to, to remember me by, but, you know, what are they going to do with all the rest of them? Well, they're going to have to throw them out, and that's going to make them feel horrible. And so William is just very practical. He's very he, – he doesn't think about the future. He thinks about the present. And so he says in the present, you know, I'm going to get rid of these now because I'm not going to leave these for somebody else to have to throw out. But really what it, what it comes down to is, you know, that the medals don't mean anything to him. Um, he, in a lot of respects, you know, he, he doesn't – he doesn't feel like, you know, they represent anything positive. They're a reminder of a place and a time that mm-hmm. he doesn't want to be reminded of. My mother made me take all my diplomas. I have a lot of them. And all my degrees and stick them in an album. I said, no, who's going to want that? She said, well, maybe one of your nieces or nephews will follow in your footsteps. You know, they all graduated college with, with, with you know, yeah. d- degrees, whatever. But I'm the only one with, with three masters and a PD. Everybody else just graduated with, you know, bachelors. And I go, like, that's not fair. But, yeah, what are you going to do with them? So this was, this was interesting because this is real life. Bo's team loses a major game, and then his sister's having a party for his 16th birthday, and he wants to play in his last jungle game. This was powerful because they told him he better show up because she was upset. So I can understand that. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and what, it, what, it come, what that really comes down to for, for all of us, we all go through it, is, you know, what's really important in life. And I think as we get older, we begin to realize that what's really important in life are fa- is family. You know, that, mm-hmm. That's really what's important. It's it's not, you know, it's it's not, you know, going going to a, a watch a basketball game with your buddies or your friends, um, because you know what you said is very true. You know, when you look in the mirror, the only person you can count on is yourself, and and the people that that love you and who you love, and, and you know, that's if you're right. blessed the way I've been blessed, you know, that's your family. And so eventually, Bo. You know, Bo. Bo is a good kid. He's he's a he's a good young man. He's just he's going through that difficult time that mm-hmm. young men go through it in life when they go from being a boy to being a man. And as I as you know, as the book talks about, there's no there's no owner's manual on how you do that. Um, and so he's uh, you know he's struggling with that, but in the end, he makes the right decision. That that's what I said. After a while, you you think about it. Sometimes when you force people to do something, they do they go the wrong way. So if you give them a chance to decide for themselves, I know I know every time I look in the mirror and I go like, "You're going to be okay. Don't worry about it. You'll get over this. No problem." And 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 you just you just know you have to. And the saddest part with this pandemic is I haven't seen my family in two years because everybody's all over the place, and you're afraid yeah. to go anywhere. I'm afraid to go to a hotel. Forget that. So this is a turbulent novel in many ways. As we revisit each timeline and more about William comes to light, how do we know there is more to his time in the war? I, I don't know. I'm not sure I follow, I'm following. Say that again. It seems very turbulent. It seems like he can't get rid of the war. We know that there is right. more to his time in the war, that there's something he's not saying. 
Like he's finding something. Right. right. I got that. You see? And that, <laughs> that that's what comes that's what comes through when he gives when he sends Vincent at the beginning of the book he sends him his journal. So yeah, what, that was what interesting. What William did in Vietnam is he wanted William wanted to be a journalist, but they wouldn't allow him to be a journalist, and so they made him a marine photographer. Um, and that was actually was the career of one of the guys that I worked with. And but he kept a journal of his time in Vietnam because he thought, well, you know, maybe someday these stories will be, you know, something that I can write about the way that uh, Ernest Hemingway wrote about you know, the the wars that he covered and those kind of things. And in the end, what it really is, it's a, it's a, it's a journal that documents, um, you know, a, a, a Marine's years in, in the jungle. And so, you know, when he, when he ends up leaving in 1979, he never really has a chance to, to, to complete the story that he has started to tell mm. for, um, Vincent. And so, you know, as his, as he's, when he sends him this journal, he says to him, all I ask is that you read it in the order written so you will understand. And what he means by that is you'll understand what happened to me over there and why I ended up doing the things I did, uh, which are, he's not proud of. And so um, the journal is, is, the, is the completion of William's story about what happened to him over there and, and why he was the way that he is. That does, I know. Yeah, this is this is the hard part sometimes. People go into war and then they come home. Why do they feel guilty if they're alive and other people die? Why does he have this guilt for living? And that's that's not unusual. Well, it's not unusual. And you know, I've gotten emails from people that that um, avoided the war because they got medical doctors, you know, letters, and they they will tell me when that they read the book and. They did feel guilty, and they, you know, they felt guilty because they didn't go, and so many people died. I've had people mm-hmm. email me and tell me about going and doing rubbings on the wall of the um, the Vietnam Memorial, and rub and you know taking the name of of a, of a person they knew, they grew up with, they were friends with, a, a spouse, or whoever it was, and mm-hmm. you know their their name is is etched on this granite, you know, but they're gone, and they've been gone forever. And so, you know, for a lot of a lot of the guys that that lived, you know, came out of that experience and lived, there was I think a lot of them questioned why, you know, why did why did they live and so many other people died? And William comes to the conclusion that it's just it's just dumb luck, you know, it's it's just blind mm-hmm. dumb luck that you know he didn't step on a on an uh, IED. Uh, the guy in front of him did. Um, he didn't take the bullet. The, the guy behind him took the bullet. You know, he didn't get on the helicopter that ended up crashing uh, because there wasn't enough room. And you know, I think I think all of us have those kind of experiences in our lives yeah. where you know, we we look back and we say, "Wow, there before the grace of God goes me." You just never know. I know it's it's scary. I mean, just people, just something can happen out of nowhere. And you say to yourself, boy, I was lucky it didn't happen to me. Why? I decided I didn't want to go to this thing, and something happens. It's scary. So in the present, Vincent has to deal with his own feelings about his son and his future. And he's going off to school. So how do they leave it before he goes? Well, the journal is really sort of a, a manual on 
on how to how to care for his mm-hmm. son. Um, he learned, you know, Vincent learned a tremendous amount reading the journal um, mm. that helps him when he gets to that point uh, to say, you know, to say goodbye to his son when his son's going off to college and to understand really what his son is going through. Um, that his, you know, I think, I think all young men have to step away uh, for a while, for, for, for a time. And, and go find out who they are and, and what kind of man they want to be and what kind of man they're going to be. And that's really what Vincent ends up telling his son is, mm-hmm. you know, you need, to, you need to find for yourself the, the, the man that you're going to be. Are you going to be a man who keeps his word? Are you going to be a man who honors women or abuses them? I mean, what type of man are you going to be? Because I can, I can tell you, I can teach you, I can... I can I can, you know, show you by example, but at some point it's it's your decision and you have to make that decision. And so I think a lot of young men go away. And they go away not because they don't love their families, but they go away because they have to find themselves and they have to find who who they are and who they're going to be. That's the hardest thing, I know. I have three nephews and they were lucky because my brother is very strict and very, you know, he, he listens. And I'll never forget one day my nephew said something to him, and I said, you have to allow him to speak it, speak out no matter how he is, even though he says it not the right way. You have to listen to him, and then you have to tell him, this is the way I would prefer you that you say it next time, because sometimes they need to be able to just blow up, and it comes out better. You know, you don't always yeah. have to criticize and say, I don't like, yeah, I know, I'm, I'm terrible like that. But then I work with kids that were difficult for a very long time, and I never had a problem getting through to them because you have to listen. Then you have to look past yeah. what they're saying. So we have Elizabeth. How does she deal with this in her own way? Well, you know, Elizabeth, in some respects, feels like you know she's the forgotten child, and I think yeah. a lot of, I think a lot of second children, you know, can feel that way. Um, and she's really not, you know, she she she's not the forgotten child, but but you know, she just she as I as I like to tell my son, who's my oldest. I tell him all the time, I say, you know, I say, Joe, I've never been a parent before. I'm going to make a lot of mistakes. And unfortunately, I'm going to make those mistakes on you. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I've learned from my own mistakes, and and it's helped me to be a better parent towards my daughter. Um, So, you know, I think what Elizabeth is going through, or Mary Beth is going through, is is what, what a lot of young people go through who are not the oldest. And that is, you know they're they're trying to find what's their place in the family and what's their place in life. No, I understand. And when you are the oldest, they expect you to be perfect. It's difficult sometimes. You have to sure. you, have, you have to live up to you have to live up to their expectations. And I once said to my mother, I have to live up to my own. And I've set them high, so I wouldn't worry. But there are wrong choices made by each person in each time period, right? Todd makes one, yeah. Vincent makes one, and William makes one. So what do they do? And why does William feel more of a loss with the death of Haybale? Um, it's, just, it's, you know, it's that, it's that first death that he experiences. Yeah. And it, I think it brings, home, it brings home the truth of the situation, which is he might not make it out of there alive. You know, I, I don't think any of us ever go someplace thinking, gee, we might not make it home again. This might yeah. be the end. You know, um, but these guys, 
You know, they were put in a situation, and and all young men and women who go to war are put in that in a situation where they they I think they come to realize I may never see my parents again. I may never see the people I love again. It may end for me right here, and that's that's just got to be so powerful and so um, scary for for a lot of them that, you know, to, to come to that realization that um, life is not forever, that we all are, are we'll, we are, all are going to die. And, you know, for William, that first death, that's, that, that's what he, he realizes that he, he, that's, he sees it firsthand mm. that um, growing old is, is not a privilege, is a, is a privilege. It's not a right. Not everyone is going to grow old. Maybe not even him. That's a, that's a scary part. And you know what gets me even more annoyed is that you go into an office or they the first thing they ask you is your date of birth. I don't answer. And I'll just tell them oh. I was born blank, blank. And they say, what year? I said, you know, it's funny. I have a photographic memory. I forget nothing. I can't remember that. Because I'm finding it doesn't matter how old you are, whether you're 95, 105, 65, or whatever, they talk to you like you're an idiot. Oh, my God, you poor thing. I go, I'm not a poor thing. I'm perfectly fine, and I'm perfectly smart. And that's when I get nasty because I can't stand when people do that. They make you feel like, oh, you know yeah. what, you're old. I say, I don't consider myself anything. I just, I'm just me. That's it. I'm just me. And if you don't like me, then that's too bad. And meanwhile, when they have a yeah. problem, they know who to call, me. So why was this kill so vital to him, and he wanted to bring honor to it? Well, you know, that's one of the things in the book that I, I kind of I don't want to necessarily give away. But okay, so I'll question what it I'll out. Just, yeah, because <laughs> that's, really that's really the big reveal uh, in the story and, and, and sort of deepens the, the whole point of, of um, what these guys went through. Well, it does affect that this one. I'm going to push this one out, too, because that's no good. Um, it affects his mental health, though. A lot of people come home, and they finally need, like, they get PTSD, or they have, you know, nightmares, and they, it affects their mental health, doesn't don't they? And at this point, I wonder sometimes if they, even at that time, had any kind of help from the VA or anything like that, or just had to deal with it by themselves. Because, you know, taking these opiates and drugs is not going to help you. Yeah, no, initially, you know, what I what I learned through my reading and in talking in talking to a, a couple of, of vets that would talk to me, um the the VA wasn't wasn't that they weren't helpful, it's that they didn't they didn't understand. They yeah. didn't really know what PTSD was um until I think later in the seventies where it, it started becoming they started getting all these veterans who are having all the same type of symptoms and, and difficulties, and they began to realize that, that, that there was something that ran a lot deeper. And, um, and once they began to, to you know, run, um, once it began to run deep, then they began to look into, okay, what is causing this? So a lot of these poor guys, they didn't have that benefit, and what, the one thing that could help them escape was was the drugs, was the alcohol and the drugs and, you know, smoking pot. Uh, heroin mm. was big over there. Um, you know, the Vietnamese, uh, they made heroin readily available because they knew it would be disruptive to, you know, to the United States Army. 
and to the men and, and who are primarily the men who are fighting over there. So, um, yeah, you know, it's just, it was a matter, it wasn't that, the, I don't think it was a matter that the VA, you know, didn't want to be helpful. Mm-hmm. It's that they didn't really understand what they were dealing with, um, you know, in, in, until they started to, to understand that that post-traumatic stress disorder was was a real thing. Well, I agree. Before I forget, Thursday, I'm taking the day off tomorrow, people, to read. No, seriously. Um, The Thursday, the memory bell. On the 18th, someone we all know and love, Lee Matthew Goldberg, the grenade bouquets. On the 19th, none other than Vincent Zandri and one of his friends that we're going to talk about, whatever he decides to talk about. And on the 20th, I have never interviewed her before. I've only read one book by Marsha Muller, Ice Cold. She's coming on on the 20th. I am so honored. On the 25th, Dr. Maxine Thompson is a black author that lived in a white family for a year, and she's going to talk about lineage. And on the 26th, the author of Redemption, and I'm not going to say the 28th because I'm really not sure because I didn't get the book yet. So we'll see what happens. And on November 2nd, I'm going to be doing um, a panel show. Everybody gets book reviews. I've been doing them for a lot of years. I just want to know how people decide on the ratings, what they do if they get a book that they don't like, and we're going to talk about that and a lot more. So that's what's coming up on MJ Network. So when people read this book, like Yasan, or I might hand it to one of my nephews because I think they should read this, what do you hope people, young people come away with after reading this? I, I hope they, they come away with a, a better understanding that their life is precious. It's precious not only to them, but it's precious to the people who love them. And it's not something that they should risk and take risks that, you know, could end up, you know, every decision that a person mm-hmm. makes in life can have consequences. Mm-hmm. And there's so much that is out of our control. I would hope that you, that the people that read this book will realize that the things they can control, they need to control and they should control. And it's a hard lesson. Um, you know, off the air mm-hmm. we were talking about the difficulties my daughter was going through at present because she had lost some friends. And, um, you know, it's, it's a really it's a really difficult thing to understand that no matter what happens, no matter how dark things may get, no matter how hard things may get, that there's hope, that there's, that there's hope, and that if you have faith and you just believe, whatever your faith is, you just believe that you're going through these difficult times for a reason and it's going to make you stronger. And if you can get through those times, you know, you will be better for it. But I keep a, I keep a saying on my wall that was sent to me by a friend, mm-hmm. and it, it, it it comes from um, it comes from the Bible. It comes from John, the Gospel of John, uh, three sixteen, and it's very simple. It just says, "You are loved," and I think that's a really important thing mm-hmm. for young people to to know and remember and understand is they are loved, and it's something that I tell my kids all the time. And it's not something that I heard when I was growing up. And it's not because my parents didn't love me. They did love, they did love me. It just wasn't their generation's way. And I made it my way because I want my kids to know that they are loved. There's always hope. There's always a light at the end of every dark tunnel. And, and, and the people who love them will be there for them. And that's really what I hope 
that young young people, especially young young boys and young men, get from this novel. But I think it applies equally to young women as well. You know, I'm glad you said that because now I feel like I'm doing the right thing. Um, my my nieces and nephews text me every so often. I said, you remember me? Yeah, they do all the time. And I'll say to them, and they'll say at the end, I miss you, I love you more than anything. And I'll say, I miss you, I love you too. It means a lot. It really, it really makes a difference. And they're in their 20s. They're not like little kids. And yeah. one, one, is, one, one is 19 and the other ones are much older. And yet they'll always say at the end of it, I love you, I miss you. I can't wait for this to be over so we can go shopping and have some fun. It makes you feel good because people need to know that, you can, that, that there's somebody out there that cares. So the, the yeah, other thing I, is, how did you get the two veterans to tell their story? And how did you feel well, after hearing it? Yeah, you know, um, as I said, a lot of, a lot of the story is, comes from the research that I did. But some of the stories did come from the two men I worked with. And, you mm. know, I, I, Vincent says this in the book, and I think it mm. was very true of me. Um, I think that the guys that I worked with, when they would tell me about what happened to them over there, what they did over there, mm-hmm. I think they felt comfortable telling me because I wasn't their peer. And mm-hmm. I wasn't their father, and I wasn't their I wasn't their you know close friend, and so they I was a blank slate. I, I was an open journal that they could just unload their story on without fearing that they were going to be judged, without fearing that they were going to be um, uh, condemned, without fearing that they were going to embarrass themselves in front of you know their buddies or anything like that. You know, I was basically just someone that could sit and listen. And I did sit and listen. And I, and I you know, I would sit in the, in the room and I would just, I'd listen. And I would allow them to talk because that's really what they wanted to do. No, I, I agree with you. That, that's just that's the hardest part. So, if Vincent, William, and Bo would, would all be talking right now on the show, what loss do you think would remain in their minds forever, and why? What would be the most, you know, the one that has the most gravity to it? Well, I, I think, I think the, the saying that is in the book, which has had such an impact on so many people, is growing old is a privilege; it's not a right. And I think what they would say on this show is, is um, to all the people out there, they'd say, you know. Don't don't waste your life. Don't don't That's throw right. your life away by making dumb choices. Um, you know, God God is giving you a, God is giving you this life, and there's going to be a lot of things that you're going to have to deal with. But you do have control over a lot of things, and um, understand that that you know you you growing old someday, and and mm-hmm. and you know finding a partner and. And maybe having kids or whatever you decide to do—that's a privilege. And uh, because there's a lot of a lot of young men and women who don't get to do that, whether it's because they've gone to war, or whether it's because mm-hmm. they've been victims of a violent crime, or whether it's because they've, you know, grown um, addicted to, you know, drugs or alcohol, or whether it's because they're simply in in bad circumstances in life. They didn't have the type of upbringing that you know that you might have. Um, they didn't get that opportunity. And, you know, I think I think this is a book about hope. I think this mm-hmm. is a book about about hope and faith and believing. 
Um, it's a hard book. It's a, it's a difficult book. I wanted it to be difficult. I wanted it, that was the point of it, because I wanted people to see that this, despite the difficulties that William went through, he survived. He fought through it, and he survived. And that's what I hope people take from it. Well, that's what, why it took me a while to read it to make sure, because I think I got that in my review. I'm pretty sure I got it right. But, you know, I taught for a very long time in the schools, and, you know, kids get in trouble. Didn't want to get in trouble with me. It wasn't. It was much better to keep me smiling. And I would always say to them, before you do the wrong thing, step back and think of the consequences that you're going to face as a matter of your choice. And they would look at me and go, like, it could go this way or that way. You could just be, you know, I'll give you a warning, or you're not going to like what I'm going to do. I said, think about it before you open your mouth and say what you're going to say. And then they would say, you're right. People don't think about the choices, and kids don't either at times. But can I tell you? So what would Elizabeth say about the journey in the present? Um, Elizabeth, you mean the mom? The girl, the little the girl. What does she think? Where do you think she's gonna go? The young girl. Um, the mom, the mom, yeah. I, I, you know, I, I think what she's gonna, what she's gonna say is very similar. I think. You know, she's. I think she learned a lot from her brother, and mm-hmm. and 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 growing up. Um, you know, my my daughter. It will always be special to me because she's the only daughter I have. And I think mm-hmm. I think little girls and and their fathers can have a really mm-hmm. special relationship. Um, and I, my daughter and I, we have a special relationship. You know, I. I coached her when she was growing up all through her sports and mm-hmm. and um she comes to me often and you know she said to me one time that she's glad we didn't have a third child because she would have been the middle child she would have been been the forgotten child and mm-hmm. I look at her and I say I look at her and I say you know honey you never would be in the, the the forgotten child your personality is so beautiful and so distinct mm-hmm. and and so lovely you know, um, your mother and I would, would, you never would have been the forgotten child. You, you're always, I call her bub. And I said, you will always be my bub. And I think that's the place that, that the daughter finds mm-hmm. in the book is that mm-hmm. she has a place in that family and she just needs to find it also. I, I agree. Everybody is, you know, I try to, everybody's special. My dad, my sister was closer with my mother. And they used to go off together yeah. to Coney Island, whatever. And my dad and I used to play golf, real golf and sports. I was really bad at it, but it was fun. It was my time just to be with my dad. And that's probably where I get the, they said, you get the smarts from the sword love side of the family. I go, yeah, I did. And the common sense, <laughs> whatever. So the final letter yeah. allows readers to think there is more. Okay, is there going to be a sequel to this one? Are you going to write more? No, 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 no. No, no. Um, you know that that final letter basically is is William's say, way of saying thank you and and goodbye, and and that's giving the reader hope that everything mm. really is going to be okay. You know, he he's going to be okay, and um, he's made his final amends. You know, he's 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 made his final amends with Vincent, and Vincent has made his final amends with him. Um, you know, it's not unlike I got. A, I received a call the other day from the wife of a man who I worked with for about 20 years. He was mm-hmm. a real mentor, to me. 
and he um, he was somebody that I I grew after I left the practice of law. To, to, I, I grew very close to. I really I really cared for him a lot, and um, I found out that he was in hospice and he was dying, mm. and I had to make a decision whether I wanted to to go and see him. And his wife told me that he really wouldn't he really wouldn't remember me. He wouldn't he, he sleeps most of the time, et cetera. And, you know, the decision I made was a difficult one, but the decision I made was I wanted to remember him as I remember him. I and understand that. I didn't want to remember that. him in a, in a bed, you know, dying. I wanted to remember him as the guy that I that I really loved and admired. And she she agreed, she understood and she agreed with me. And I told her if there was anything she needed, I'd be happy to do it. But I wanted to remember him the way that he was, not what he had become. And that's sort of what, what Vincent comes to the conclusion is, mm-hmm. you know, he wants to remember William for who William was, the guy he was. Mm-hmm. And all he really wanted was to know that William was okay. And he finds out he's okay and he's going to move forward. I think I probably would do the same thing. I think it's the hardest thing is when somebody is close with you and all of a sudden you know they're not going to be there anymore. It's hard. It's really hard. Yeah. And it's, it's, I mean, it's terribly difficult. I know. My my eye doctor's wife and I were close friends. She's much older than me. And we used to you know, carry on and everything. And I went to get glasses, and two weeks later they told me she had COVID. So I had to get tested. And then three weeks later she was gone. It was the most horrific thing in the world because I didn't get to say goodbye to her. And I said to, to, to the doctor, because we're friends, I said, I wish you would have told me, because I would have taken the car to the cemetery just to say goodbye to my friend. You know, and how you remember them. Right. And it, it's, it's right. Not, not the same. So one of the themes I know, because I'm reading your reading questions in the back, and I agree. One of the themes is loss of faith in the novel. It's also faith, goodness, humanity, and believing in yourself. Why are those so important? And hope and survival and never giving up. On you, on who you are. That's just what I think. Yeah, um, because I, I, I think you know, I think you just summed it up perfectly. Is we are all going to be tested in life. Yeah. You know, we are all going to go through hard times. We are all going to go through difficult times. We are going to lose people we love. We are going to lose them. We might lose them tragically, the way William lost a lot of the guys. Mm-hmm. You know, tragically. But. But we can we can never give up hope. Mm-hmm. We can never we can never give up uh, that 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 belief that understanding that we are loved and and that God is not malicious. God is not malevolent. You know, mm-hmm. God is benevolent. And and for every dark time, there will be a, a silver lining. There will be a light time. It's like that old saying: when one door when one door closes, another door opens. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, you know, people don't see that door because they're not looking for it because they're wallowing in their own self pity, or they're wallowing in, in a in, in in a horrible you know situation they just can't pull themselves out of. And I have a lot of I have a lot of um, compassion for those people. I'm not I'm not trying to be uncompassionate, incompassionate. I, 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 yeah. That's not that's not my point at all. But you know, we all go through difficult times and dark times, and mm-hmm. we just we just have to realize. We, we have to go forward. You know, my brother-in-law, um, he's an interesting guy, and um, anxiety runs in my family. And mm. anxiety comes because because 
you know, you're looking to the future, all the things that can go wrong, and what about this and what about that? And he always says to my sister, he says, you can't do anything about the past. It's, it's gone, and you can't anticipate the future. So live in the present. And that's, you know, that's, that's have, really, a, I think, a, a very poignant thing is to live in the present and, um, and understand that, that, you know, don't, don't, try to, don't try to figure out, you know, too many things. Just be open to those doors that are going to open in front of you and, and step through them. You know, my career as a writer has, has not been a straight line. There's been many curves. And mm-hmm. I've, I've, been thrown, I've been thrown a lot of curves. You know, I've been let go by a publisher. You know, mm-hmm. I've, I've had uh, books that have not done well. And, you know, there are many times where it would have been easy to quit. And I just didn't quit. You know, I love what I do, and I, I just wasn't going to quit. But part of that was because I had people that believed in me. You know, my literary agent, uh, Jane Rotrosen and Meg Ruley, they believed mm-hmm. in me. And they kept saying to me, just keep writing. Just keep writing. And every that, that, time a door so closed, true. yeah, every time a door closed, another door opened and it was a better door. It was a better path. I just had to get past the disappointment so that I could see, you know, what that door was and why it was going to be a better path for me. And, you know, I'm in, I'm in a, a, a wonderful place now. I'm with, I'm with Thomas and Mercer and Lake Union Publishing. Yeah, they are, they they're great. They are great. They are they, great. Yeah, they treat me with respect. They treat me with dignity. Um, they, they treat their authors that way. And um, that I couldn't, you know, a writer, an employee, a writer, whatever you want to say, can't ask for anything more than that. It's just to be treated with dignity and respect and honor. And, um, and I never would have found that if I hadn't been open to another door opening. I understand what you're saying. When I had to retire from teaching, my mom was sick. But I probably wouldn't have retired if the principal that's still there, unfortunately, wasn't there. She just took everything that was positive about working with kids and reading, because I'm a reading specialist and writer, and I said, you know what, I'm going to close this door, and maybe I'll do something else. And my sister said it to me right before she died. She said, you weigh 200 pounds. I weigh 110 pounds now. And she said, you're becoming a couch potato. Why don't you write a book? You know something? I looked at her like she was out of her mind, and I wrote a, story, I wrote a book about ourselves growing up in the South Bronx. I thought she was going to kill me. <laughs> so I wrote the truth about you know growing up with her. I said, I'm going to get even with you. I said, even worse, I'm going to make you edit it because she was brilliant. So you're right. It's exactly right. So what's next for you, and when am I getting it? So uh, let's see. In um, February of 2022, the third book in the Charles Jenkins Espionage series will be coming out. It's called The Silent Sisters. And uh, it's Jenkins goes back to Russia the final time to retrieve the two final sisters that have been serving America as um, uh, moles for 40 years. Uh, they've gone silent. And he doesn't know if that means they've they've mm. uh, been captured or they've given up. And so that's really a fun novel. That that was a lot of fun to write and research. I had a great time. And then in um, let's see, in August of 2022 will be the the ninth Tracy book called What She Found. Oh, and good. that is um, that's following the short story, which is uh, the last line, which is coming out just next week, October 21st. Uh, by Amazon Original Short Stories, and um, and then it, you know I'm always doing something. Uh, I'm I finished my first draft, 
of a novel involving a female criminal defense attorney who oh, was nice. hired by a man yeah hired by a man accused of killing his wife, his crippled wife and uh i'm really excited about this book as well so um we'll see what happens I didn't get the second one in the, in the sisters, so I hope I get the one. Is Megan working with you for the for both of them, I hope? Um, I don't know if Megan was working with me on that book. The person that really was working with me on that would be Danelle Catlett. And she, it, the, the second book in the Charles Jenkins series is called The Last Agent. And um, well, she, that would be something she could help you with. Well, she's got to send it to me because I'll be very disappointed. Megan sent this to me without my asking, by the way. She just sent it. Oh, You're going to read it. Good. I'm I, I, I crack up laughing. I never know what I'm going to get. And I got a whole bunch last week. And then I got a nasty note from the post office. From the, whatever. the post office is not delivering because they're slowing down. I said, yeah, whatever. I don't care. So where can everybody read all of your books? Because I, I, I love Tracy well, Cross. Can... I love her books. Yeah, you can you can find um, at uh, com or if you go on uh, Amazon slash com, you can find all, all my books. And um, with the exception of the first David Sloan novels, uh, all my books are – well, all my books are available through Amazon. Uh, all my books should be available through your you know, independent bookstores. Uh, mm. Barnes and Noble, you you might have to ask them to order them for you if, if you prefer to get a hard copy and to and to um, you know support your local independent bookstore. Um, but um, you know some of the other books here, um, Amazon is a is a ch- chance to get them. Well, I want to thank you. This has been really enlightening. This book is great, and normally I give away my books to everybody after I read them. I'm not giving this one away. I'm going to keep this on my shelf <laughs> because. Yeah, this really has a lot to say, and it's really, really great. And I know there's an expression, the world played chess, and I play checkers. That's the sort of the yeah. ex- expression that they, yeah, I'm very bad at both. Yeah. But I like playing yeah. chess. But I want to thank you so much. I just tell your daughter to have faith in herself. It's going to be okay. Thank you. And as long as she has and you, you and you to And thank you oh, for having that, me. I look forward to the next time. Anytime. Thank you so much, everybody. What I say at the end of one of my shows is, with this world the way it is today, there's nothing wrong with doing something nice and saying a kindness and doing something nice to somebody every day. I do. I can walk over to somebody and just say to them, you look beautiful, or have a great day. So maybe if everybody does that, the virus will take a hike and realize you're negative. We don't want you here anymore. So That's great thank thought. you so much. Everybody have a great day. Stay safe, and bye. Bye-bye.